This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. So to come to the top of the hour, Brian Lawton will stop by. We'll go through all the uh, the notable things from the week that just was around the NHL. Also, we will talk about the Arizona Coyotes, the suddenly, are they allowed to say good? Arizona Coyotes of Brian Lawton from the NHL Network, former NHL player, GM, and agent as well. In the meantime, uh, not exactly a secret that right now, the Hughes family, all three of them dominating the National Hockey League, whether it's uh, Jack with 20 points, whether it's Quinn leading all defenders, or whether it's Luke trailing Logan Cooley by a single point in rookie scoring, this is the Hughes' NHL. We're just skating in it. Father Jim Hughes is a hockey director of player development for CAA. He joins me now. Jim, how are you today? Thanks so much for hopping aboard. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, let me uh, let me jump in with last night. I'm, I'm going to ask you a few things historically about the kids and growing up and uh, the family and how in a family full of defenders you ended up with uh, you know one of the elite uh, forwards uh, in the game. But I want to rewind to yesterday. So you know, watching Vancouver just take apart the San Jose Sharks. I mean, it's a blowout. It's a it's a tilted rink. Ten to one is the final. And I'm seeing Quinn, we all are, and he's just piling on points here. And after after two periods, I think we're all, you know, rushing to our media guides to try to figure out, okay, what's the most amount of points a defenseman's ever had in a single game? And it's Paul Coffey and Tom Bladen with eight. And I'm thinking to myself, Quinn's got a shot here. Like, Quinn's got a real shot here. And then the third period rolls around and, you know, Carson Soucy's on the power play and things are sort of talking, calming everything down. Was there a part of Jim Hughes that said, I want to see if my kid can set a record here? No. And the reason why we, we know we know David Quinn and Wiseman and and, and, and Gorton, they're up, they're all on the other bench. And I think I think yeah. uh, the Vancouver staff know that really well in terms of you know, they could have been maybe even goalie interference on Demko at, at the end, but yep. everybody wants that thing to just get going and get out of there and and you know it was it wasn't an easy night for San Jose, so I, I think it was done you know in the right way with the right manner and 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 I think um, yeah I mean I, I think it was it was time to put some other people on the ice and give some other people opportunities. Interesting. Um, that is a, listen. You're uh, very much a, a hockey guy, and I understand where that comes from. I mean, my perch here, I just love watching records get broken. And right now, um, you know, your sons are playing on a different level. And, man, uh, New Jersey is much must-watch television. Vancouver is must-watch television. And a lot of it is because of your boys. Like, when you watch them right now, like, what, you know, take us, take us behind a father's eyes here. What do you see when you watch all your three kids playing in the NHL right now? Well, listen, it's a it's a it's a very difficult league. It's a humbling league. It's a really hard league. It's a man's league. And you kind of just keep your feet in the ground and you just go one day at a time. Um, and yeah, they're having success because, you know, the general managers, the coaches, they've done a good job building this team and putting good teams together and adding pieces. So so the journey, you know, Jack's been at this five years now. And so they're building it and it's really starting to turn the corner. And, you know, I feel the same way about Vancouver and Quinn's situation. Um, but you, you bring in these additional pieces such as Heronic, who's doing a wonderful job with Quinn, a guy like Toffoli yeah. that's playing with, with Jack, who's just a hockey, you know, you know, he's a hockey, hockey, hockey guy. And that's probably why Jack loves him so much because they have so much in common, but to Foley's got so many, intricacies and he does so many things well as a hockey player um he's a hockey junkie so you know they've added really nice pieces Mm -hmm. and you know to sit back and you know ellen and i we just were in the living room last night we actually had three tvs going we watched the we watched the uh the u17s from (laughs) prince edward island at six o'clock and then we watched fantilli and kent johnson uh, in in columbus and then we turned on the the Vancouver game. And I think we had the Ottawa game on the other TV. So it was like, we, it was a busy night here, but we, <laughs> we sit here and we watch and, and uh, we're, we're enjoying, you know, how the kids are playing and yeah, they work hard in the summers. We have a fantastic group here of about 12 to 15 yeah. players and they get after it three times a week. And we're big proponents of 
you know, when you're 20, you got you got to make yourself better. When you're 21, 22, 23, you got to keep improving. You got to keep working on your skill sets, and you got to keep climbing the mountain. You got to keep getting better. So we have this group in the mm-hmm. summer with Dylan Larkin and Morinsky and the Brinkett and Kyle Connor, Berniers and Cop and Sanderson, Luke Jack Quinn. I mean, so they get going and, and really they challenge each other all summer and they just keep getting better. And now that's what you're kind of seeing in, I guess you're seeing in the, uh, in the early part of the season. With Jim Hughes, um, you know, one of the things, you know, Elliot and I every year at the NHL uh, Players Media Tour, uh, it's always fun catching up with with Jack. And one of the things that he always talks about, we always ask him too, you know, how uh, how were the family competitions uh, in the off season? How was, you know, the, the summer golf and summer tennis and whatever games uh, the kids are playing against each other? And I can't help but thinking, and you can, you know, you can shine the spotlight on this. It seems as if, this is a family where all the kids have grown up, not just competing against other kids, uh, other teams, but competing against one another. Like it, it seems as if, you know, competition has been at the forefront of their minds, you know, since they were, you know, able to play hockey, golf, tennis, whatever it is. Have they always been like this amongst each other, like ultra competitive? Always. And even when the kids were living in Mississauga, on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, when all the hockey was done, there would be six of them down in the basement, and they'd be playing, you know, basement hockey. And, and everybody, mm-hmm. everything has a winner and a loser, unfortunately. So if they're out playing tennis or they're playing golf or they're playing pool, um, there's a judgment. There's a judgment going on. And so I don't, I don't think they're trying to outdo each other, but it's it's a competitive environment, and. No different than the Kachuk family, or you know, we can go on and on and on. But um, yeah, they sure. get after it. There's no doubt. My, you know, if it's if it's golf, they get after it. If it's if it's tennis, they get after it. And so, they probably bring out the best in each other. You know, it, it's it's so fascinating too. And listen, Henry Stahl was you know was was asked you know similar questions about his boys as well. You know, is there one sort of common thread that's running through all the kids here? I mean. You've got three kids in the NHL. Like getting one to the NHL is remarkable enough. You've got three uh, in the National Hockey League. Like, what's the? We always talk about you know differences between people. I'm curious what the similarities are between these three kids that allows them to be top of their field, top of their position in the NHL. It's a very good question. Um, obviously, people see the skating, and we used to drive the Zamboni guys because we'd have six nets on the ice and people said, we only have two goalies, but I have all these nets, but it was all, it was all skating mechanisms. It was all going around nets and, and it's a tight turn with explosion and a burst and coming out of the turn faster than you go into it. Um, but I would think that the biggest common thread between the three of them is that work ethic. And I always mm. say that to the young kids and the kids we work with is that the work ethic propels and makes everything better. If you have a great work, work ethic, your skating will get better, your shot will get better, your passing will get better, your, your physical training in the, in the gyms will get better. Everything can get better if you have a high workload. And so I would say, you know, that would be the common thread because you've just got to keep getting better in all areas of your game. And if you've got the work and it's ingrained in you, then, then you know, there's a very good chance that you can become the best version of yourself. You, um, you played, um, Ellen played, uh, Jim, I'm curious, you know, what that, you know, you know, when you, when you snatched the pebble from the master's hand, then you can leave the temple moment was like, do you remember the moment where the kids got better than you? And what was that like for Jim Hughes? Um, well, we never played in the league, so it's really easy. It's really easy. We just, we support where resources and we support and listen with any of these kids in the league that get there, there's a small village of people. It's coaches and strength coaches and NTDP coaches and youth yeah. coaches. And there's a lot of people that are involved with the process. It's, we call it resources. And so, um, you know, we, we try to make friendly suggestions. Like we, there's ups and downs and there's roadblocks and there's highs and lows. And sometimes we try to bring the temperature down. Like 
you know, they're competitive people. And Jack will say something and I'll say, you know, Lindy wants what you want. You want what Lindy wants. You want the same thing. Like, relax. It's going to be okay. Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, and so <laughs> it's their competitive environment. It's their competitiveness. Um, but sometimes, you know, not throwing gasoline on the fire is a good idea. Um, and yeah. that would be my suggestion to a lot of parents out there that are listening. Uh, and, and we're all guilty of it. And I've been, I've been guilty of it too. But if you can learn how to really message with your child, your kids, and, and, and bring the temperature down and have common sense conversations and talks, I think, it's, I think it'll go further and it's more helpful. You know, it, it's so fascinating when you look at your three boys. Uh, there's, I think, an, an assumption that everybody makes, which is, well, you know what? Their development has been a straight line. Uh, they've always been great. They've always been marvelous skaters. They've always dominated. Uh, they make it look easy. It must have come easy to them. Um, I, I know you talk a lot to hockey parents. Uh, can you share with us some of the setbacks? Because you mentioned like development, you know this, Jim, better than than a lot of people. Development's not a straight line; it's a bunny hop. It's you know two steps forward, two steps back, one forward, three back, four forward, one. Back. Like you know what it's like. Can you can you share like how many you know setbacks the kids had along the way and and how they worked through it? There's constant setbacks, and you can you can sabotage yourself if you're not careful. Because the world of youth hockey and, and youth sports in general is, it's not an easy climb. And so you've got to be persistent and hardworking, but um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge in so many ways of getting there. And quite frankly, at an early age, I think we, a lot of people can attest that Jack was a little bit different than a lot of the other kids up in Toronto, but for Quinn and Luke, you know, for Ellen and I, all we wanted was hopefully they had an opportunity to go play college hockey in the U.S., which both of them mm. wound up going to play at Michigan. But we were realistic, and you know, we weren't we didn't have these grand plans of National Hockey League or anything like that. All we were trying to do is just move the kids along, and hey, hopefully, maybe they're good enough to play in college someday. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another, but. We didn't get. We certainly didn't get too far ahead of ourselves, um, and you know the NTDP didn't didn't hurt either because it's a place that they value sure. two-hour practices and strength and conditioning. So it's it's a good place to really propel propel yourself. If you know, and, and you see in Norris doing it, you see in Brady Kachuk doing it, you see in, you know there's countless guys that have come out of the program that have taken those resources and used them along the way. Um, between Vancouver and New Jersey, how are your frequent flyer points doing these days? They're, they're manageable because, you know, we went up for the first game, um, in Vancouver and then we were on the first flight the next morning and we caught the, we went right to the arena in Newark and we caught their home opener. And then we, we caught two more in New Jersey. And then it happened that Vancouver was in Philly. So we caught five games on the trip and then we come home and now we're just bunkered down nice. and we got our televisions and we're comfortable just watching games on the television and, and uh, doing it that way too. And so I think it's important to stay out of their way a little bit. We, we visit here and there and then we get out of the way and let them do their thing. Yeah. It's got to be the biggest thrill. Uh, it's got to be great. Jim, listen, thanks so much for parking time. Uh, I know you're very busy, uh, not just, you know, watching the kids, but working at CAA Hockey Director of Player Development. Thanks so much for parking some time with me today. Much appreciated. Uh, congratulations on the early success for the family and, and all the best in the future. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Jim Hughes uh, from CAA Hockey Director of Player Development. Um, for your purposes, Father of Quinn, Jack, and Luke Hughes. Man, they're so much fun to watch. You can watch the Devils again tonight. Facing off against St. Louis Blues. Um, Devils are must-watch. Vancouver's become must-watch. Like All the stars in Vancouver, as Elliot was mentioning off the top of the show, all the stars in Vancouver are performing. There's not one star player on the Vancouver Canucks that you're like, mm, really needs to pick it up here, like everybody. Right from Demko to Hughes to Miller to Pedersen 
It's the best sort of like all the star guys are playing so good right now. It's 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 appointment television. Uh, with that, we'll bring in Matt Marchese because it is time now for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, bet local Matty Marchese. Pick a hockey night game tomorrow, Matty. That's the deal on Fridays. Uh, yes, which I forgot. Uh, Sabres at Maple Leafs. Uh, Maple, puck line is Maple <laughs> Leafs minus one and a half. Sabres are 7-19 and 19 in the last 26 meetings in Toronto. Uh, the home team is 36-16 and 16 in the last 52 meetings. The over is 5-2-2 two and two in the last nine meetings in Toronto. And this one's my favorite. Yeah. The Sabres are 121-76-18-10 all time against Toronto. Um, I remember a time where Buffalo always used to beat Toronto, and it didn't matter how good or bad they were. You know, I um, this this is a special one to me because I grew up in southwestern Ontario, and so there were always two teams I would watch a ton of games. Um, and one was the Toronto Maple Leafs because they were always on. The other, we would watch a ton of Buffalo Sabres games because they were available in our market as well. And with all due respect to Rick Jenneret, and Rick Jenneret has pointed this out as well, I still consider Ted Darling to be the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. When I imagine the Buffalo Sabres, I hear Ted, the legendary Ted Darling's voice, uh, calling French Connection and... Danny Gare and King Kong Korab and Larry Playfair and all the Jim Schoenfeld, all of it. So this is a really special one. And I, I will assure you that even in that era, like the one right before the one that you're talking about, Maddie, because you're probably thinking of the, the Dominic Hasek era mm-hmm. of the Buffalo Sabres when they could not do anything against that Buffalo Sabres team. I assure you the generation previous as well, uh, as much as Dominic Hasek, who I considered, by the way, to be the best goaltender of all time, absolutely killed the Maple Leafs. There were also two other Buffalo Sabres netminder that used to just wreck them on the regular. Don, Edward, Don, sorry, Don Edwards and Bob Sove. Those two used to wreck Toronto like crazy, specifically Don Edwards. Like I remember being a kid, I was a big Mike Palmatier fan, and I'd be like, Palmatier against Edwards. I'm like, oh, no, Edwards is going to stick it to us again. Ugh. Um, it's uh, it, so it's always a it's it's always a good matchup when the the QEW rivalry gets going, and I think we've waited for the longest time now for this rivalry really to pop. Like rivalries aren't going to happen when one team is struggling or one team is rebuilding and the other is at the top of their winning cycle. And I think we're all sort of hoping for the Buffalo Sabers to get there. And the only way you build a legitimate rivalry is through playoffs. Uh, and the Ottawa-Toronto rivalry was at its best when they were facing off against each other in the playoffs. I think we're all crossing our fingers, anyone in the Southern Ontario region, uh, for the Buffalo Sabres to get there and become a consistently good and playoff team because QEW playoff series, sign me up for that all day long. Uh, we'll look forward to that on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. Let's talk about Mike Palmatier and Dot Edwards. It's a good day. I throw Bob Sovey in there for a little bit of spice as well. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Brian Lawton coming up in hour two. Craig Morgan on the Arizona Coyotes. And Matt Marchese with a look back at a very fascinating week around the NHL. Merrick Show continues. Hour two is next across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 or if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Bottom of the hour, Craig Morgan stops by. We'll talk about the Arizona Coyotes. The yes, you're allowed to say they're good, Arizona Coyotes. Brian Lawton stopping by here in a couple of moments from the NHL Network. Lots has done uh, a lot of things in the NHL, including uh, play, uh, for one, manage, uh, and also worked as an, as an agent as well. Uh, now with the NHL Network, um, we'll have a sort of look around the NHL. We'll start with uh, the latest hot button topic, and that is neck guards, and see where we go from there. Uh, a couple of games on the go around the NHL this evening. Philadelphia Flyers facing off against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Sabres have a game tonight, and then tomorrow against the Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada. As we just talked about with Matt Marchese, Maddie's going to stop by in a couple more moments. Sounds like Uka Pekalukunen gets the start tonight 
for the Sabres and Devin Levi goes tomorrow. The other game tonight, the New Jersey Devils uh, face off against the St. Louis Blues. How you like the St. Louis 1-for-25 power play? Uh, 0-for-4 the other night against the Colorado Avalanche. That could use some massaging. And weird stat from the New Jersey Devils as well. Uh, we talk a lot about Jack Hughes and the season he's having. Jesper Brad with four points last night. He's third uh, in the NHL. Tyler Toffoli with seven goals. He's been great as well. Dawson Mercer of the New Jersey Devils in like surrounded by, you know, uh, performers and players getting points. Dawson Mercer has got a stat line of bagels, nine games, no goals, no assists, no points. What gives Dawson Mercer? What gives Brian Lawton joins me now from the NHL network. Lots. How are you, pal? Good to hear your voice again. Same here, Jeff. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, listen, I just had a conversation with Jim Hughes, father to the stars. The uh, the the new, what used to be Henry Stahl is now Jim Hughes, and Hughes has the the three boys, and you know they're uh, Jack Hughes is leading uh, all scorers with twenty points. Quinn Hughes leads all defensemen in points, and Luke Hughes trails Logan Cooley by only a single point. Like right now, this is domination by the Hughes family. Uh, can you sort of you know isolate these three and and share what you think about these? You know, three players that are that are top of their field amongst their peer group. Yeah, it, it's really incredible. We've been talking about it for, it really started quite a while ago, particularly in the U.S., NHL yeah. Network, American Kids. You're going to really jump yeah. on that. Um, I remember the first time we met Jack at uh, NHL Network. He did an interview at the finals. And uh, Jack was so confident that the guys completely hated him. They were like, oh, my God, this kid's so confident. You can't be that confident. And as time has gone on, they've grown to love him because he doesn't do it in an evil or rude way. It's just who he is. He's a very confident hockey player. He went through hell in a handbasket to get really where he is. I mean, it wasn't easy when he came into the league. But he never stopped believing. He remained with that confidence. And obviously now, I mean, it's ridiculous what he's doing. So I give him a ton of credit. He's a great kid. He's fun-loving. He's a character. His abilities, everybody always knew he could skate. The first time I really ever saw Jack do anything special was at the Prospects game. He got even against the player and blew by him. And it was so unnatural. I was like, that's not natural. Those two guys are equal. He's the weaker player. The defenseman is much stronger, but they're dead even and he just turned on the jets Mm -hmm. and i just went oh my goodness this guy just has a hidden gear (laughs) that he can call upon any time and i believe that that is still what's happening at the nhl level now he's earned respect where if you go back and you watch his overtime winner against the new york islanders ryan pulak backs off him gives him time and space he walks to the middle shoots it in the net end of game and he never looked like He was at all concerned about anything, and that's that confidence. But Mm -hmm. he's earned a little bit of room, and now you give him an inch and he's taking a mile. So that's his greatness. Plays the game with his head up way faster than you think. Not super strong. Seems abnormal. He's doing as great as he is because of that. But he's no longer small or frail, and we saw that early on for him. He's over the hump. He's going to be a great player. He's proving it every single night, as everybody's seen. Quinn, on the other hand, is just magically gifted. Also with a player that plays his head up, Jim did a great job with his kids teaching him this. But his skating is so incredible. His IQ, there was a play last night he made for Van where he's out at the blue line. He backs his body outside the blue line, extends the space in the offensive zone for himself to create a little time and space and ends up just absolutely deeching the forward out that was covering him where he's looking for his jock strap as Quinn blows by him yep. to the outside, comes in, takes a slap shot, ends up in the back of the net. The magic in that is the feet and also the ability to play with the head up. And then say, I'll say it again, another very confident hockey player. You're the last man back with a checker on you at the blue line. If you turn it over, it's a breakaway and it's on you. Absolutely no fear. I feel like he could make that play nine out of ten times, yeah. if not ten out of ten. That's special. 
Luke, on the other hand, we haven't got a good read on. Watched him a lot at Michigan. I watched a guy, quite frankly, struggle defensively, particularly turning to one side. He really had an issue with that in college where guys were blowing by him. He appears to have really cleaned that up. Now his feet are taking root. He's really the biggest of the three brothers. His potential is untapped. I don't know why we'd expect him to come in and dominate more than Jack did his first couple years. Quinn was a little bit of a freak. He stayed a little bit longer at college. He was able to come in and really be effective. If truth's been known, Quinn could have left college a year earlier. He just couldn't really get the type of assurances he wanted to to leave Michigan, so he stayed another year, grew his game, walked in, and was really dominant. But Luke, on the other hand, uh, I think it's just a matter of time. I don't know who will be the best of these kids, but you're right. This is Mm. hockey's version of royalty right now for a family that's just dominating in the league. You know, it, it's interesting, Lots, because I, I, I mentioned to Jim, I'm watching the Vancouver game yesterday, and after two periods, um, I'm looking at this, and it's like, well, hang on a second. If Quinn gets, you know, three more points here in the third, and we've seen him pile up before, and he's playing against San Jose, with all due respect, uh, he's getting into that Paul Coffey, Tom Bladen, you know, either tying or setting a new record for points in a game by a defenseman. And I asked him if, if you know, he thought that, uh, you know, he, if he wanted to go see, you know, wanted to see his son, you know, set a record last night, would Quinn have liked that? And he said, uh, absolutely not. And it's because it was a blowout and uh, it's respect to, to David Quinn and no one likes being on the end of these blowouts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, that's a very hockey answer. Um, I get it. Um, I personally, when you're, I think you... I think when you're close to a record, you owe it to the game to try to to try to break it. Like you owe it to hockey. Like you know what I mean, Brian? Like you owe it to hockey to try to break that record. I, the other example that I cited last year was a December game between Buffalo and and Columbus when you know all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. You know we're halfway through the game and Tage Thompson has six points and we're all wondering about Daryl Sittler in 1976. And then you know his ice time diminished and held back and stopped shooting and stuff. But I, I always have felt that when a player gets close to a game record, regardless of what the score is or how the other team may be offended, I think that you owe it to hockey to try to break it, to give it a really good shot, because these records have stood for a long time, and when you get close, you should really go for it. Do you have a thought on that one, whether Quinn Hughes should have said, or Rick Tockett for that matter, should have said, my guy's close to a record that's stood for a number of years, I'm going to give him a chance to break it. Or do you say, hold on a second here, it's a 10 nothing blowout, let's, uh, let's pump the brakes a little bit? Well, from the coach's perspective, you're trying to create accountability in the room. And that rises one individual above the rest of the group. And that's not inherently normal or accepted in hockey. Now, from a player's perspective, I can tell you that they're aware of these things They'd like to do these things, but they're never going to come out and say that. I don't think Wayne Gretzky, you know, is really openly going to say, I went into game 39 knowing I needed five goals to get 50. (laughs) And so I did it. (laughs) You know, I didn't really care if we won or lost. You know, so it, but make no mistake, having been a player, if there's something that you're aware of, Of course, you'd love to do it, but you're never going to hear that from players. And quite frankly, play hockey players. I used to be a sports agent. We used to have all sports at Octagon. They still do. You had basketball players, football players, baseball players. I've met a lot of great athletes from other sports. But I'm biased, of course. But I didn't – one time, I won't say who it was, I met who was supposedly – the nicest guy in another major sport and went to a charity event that he had was really excited to meet him. And he would have been like the 700th nicest guy in the NHL. (laughs) Like I was just blown away. He he was not a super great nice guy. (laughs) So I've always had this thought. It's not true about all players. That was a bad sample size, but it's a very known player who's still playing to this day. We really had that line, and, right. and don't try to guess because I don't want to get into that and embarrass it. But <laughs> hockey players are <laughs> hockey players are just 
brought up differently. Things are, you know, now it's changing. When I say, you know, people at NHL Network or a few of the guys, I shouldn't say people, were not thrilled when meeting Jack. Jack's a great kid, Hughes. But what's different about him than other players at that age that maybe had that kind of success is they will tell you more what they think. Whereas in my era, you were really, that wasn't happening. It was not happening, Jeff. And Mm -hmm. and personally, I think it's a good thing. Jack Hughes is a great kid. The fact that he's going to tell you what he thinks and that's maybe different than what was 30 years ago does not make it wrong. As a matter of fact, I think it's better for hockey. I really do. So you I, I agree with you. Put the person, put the, put their personalities forward. Uh, lots, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent With Brian Lawton from the NHL Network here, and listen, uh, as I mentioned before, you came on. I mean, you've done so much from a number of different perches uh, in the game as a player, as a manager, as uh, an agent. Like you've seen the game from a lot of different angles. Like you've walked down a lot of different roads here, and you talk about the game changing. Um, we're in a we're in a post Adam Johnson NHL now in a in a post you know listen, we're in a post Adam Johnson um, hockey universe whether it's youth hockey whether it's minor hockey whether it's the NHL the conversations all over whether you go to your local arena uh, whether you go to your coffee shop your saloon your barber shop whatever if you're a hockey fan you've had the conversation numerous conversations this week about neck guards and mandatory neck guards and youth hockey neck guards. Um, last night we saw TJ Oshie wear one. We saw Nick Ehlers and Neil Pionk in Winnipeg wear neck guards as well. We've seen players wear them in practice, whether it's you know, Eric Carlson or uh, Tom Wilson. Um, do you think that Adam Johnson is a tipping point now for either grandfathering or making neck guards mandatory? We all went through Malarchuk. We went through Richard Zednick as well. But this is the first time that there has been a death involved. Do you think this is a tipping point now for that piece of equipment? I think it should be. I have a couple points I'll make quickly. First off, I don't know how many pro games I played. 600 plus at least. Never once thought the risk. I don't know if that means I'm stupid or or what. But that's Mm. the honest to God truth. I never thought about the risk of this could happen to me. And yet you know it but I truly never once did. And hockey was a different yep. type of physical back when I played. Yes. So that strikes out. That that's really sticks out for me. That's not what my feelings are on these types of things. A few years ago, USA Hockey came out and made helmets mandatory for all coaches. This isn't the same, but it's a similar instance. And a bunch of people called me from USA Hockey and former pros, and I was coaching a lot of kids at that time, and said, Brian, this is ridiculous. You played in the NHL. You don't need to wear a helmet out there. Why is this even a thing? And I literally, from the first person that called me, I said, you know what? I couldn't disagree with you more. In this particular instance, mm. it's not about me or other pros. It's about what's right, not who's right. And what was right was for every coach, particularly people volunteering their time, never mind, you know, yeah. And trying to segregate out classes. So so when I look at this dish issue, when I was coaching, net guards were not mandatory. And it was a real pain in the rear end because kids had, had a hard time keeping track of them. It's another cost for parents, this, that, and the other thing. But my kids wore net guards. And I did it for that yeah. same reason, and I feel the same way today. There's no reason not to. Yes, uh, maybe at the pro level, I'd have some time for an argument that this is how we make our living. We're adults. This, that, the other thing. Um, It's still an individual choice. That's really just code for we probably should grandfather this in and we'll we'll change it over time, as we saw what happened with helmets in the National Hockey League. Because I was still playing in 93 with guys like Doug Wilson that were not wearing a helmet. And I thought that was really, really, really odd to put it nicely. So I'm completely in favor of it. Mm-hmm. I do believe this will be a tipping point. This is a catastrophic incident. Um, it's just risen to the top, to the front pages. It deserves that type of time and analysis to figure out what's right. But when it comes to amateur kids and stuff like that, like I'm saying this, Jeff, because in the United yeah. States, it's not mandatory. It's not mandatory. It's not, that to me, yeah. 
that that's not right. Different in Canada, as you know. But down here, I would love to see that changed, and I would be 100% in favor of it. I, I haven't really ever been given a reason why they aren't mandatory stateside. Some of the things I said, uh, it's, it was definitely inconvenient, but that's not a strong enough reason. It definitely adds more cost to a game that's unfortunately not that cheap still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, yeah. there's a lot of little things. All of them seem to pale in the magnitude of the moment now, though. Absolutely. It's a, as I mentioned, it is a post Adam Johnson NHL. It's a post Adam Johnson hockey universe that, that we're all in uh, now. Everything, everything changed on the weekend uh, at a game between Nottingham and Sheffield. Uh, profoundly changed uh, the scope of the game all over the world. Um, teams around the NHL, there's a lot of really intriguing stories. There's some great stories, like what the Rangers are doing right now. Look what the, geez, lots, look what the Anaheim Ducks are doing right now, what Greg Cronin uh, is doing with this team, how he has them playing. There's other situations, whether it's, you know, the San Jose Sharks, who are, you know, struggling for wins. It's shades of the 74-75 Washington Capitals or the Calgary Flames who are pausing negotiations with impending free agents, etc. What do you think, like, from your perch, because you follow all of it, what's the most interesting story for you right now in the league? All right, I'll tell you that, but I'll tell you when I was saying hockey players are the best dudes on the planet, it's because it was ingrained yeah. in me that we never talk from a perch, Jeff. Because it implies that we're looking down on people. And that is not, and I, I'm being dead serious because you've right. said it That's, twice in this conversation. And each time it sends a chill through my body that, yeah. no, 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 I'm not looking at anybody from a perch. We're all equal. And that yeah. really is the essence of hockey I've, players. Maybe, maybe, what is the most interesting? Maybe I've been a media. Sorry, sorry. Maybe it, Maybe I've been in media too long. Maybe I've been in media too long, and that's all that we do is look down and judge and cross our arms. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a mea culpa more than anything else. Well, you have no idea how excited I am after the years that you and I worked together that I finally get to correct you on air. <laughs> so thank you for that. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. Most so, exciting most thing to you right now. Uh, most exciting thing to me, well, one good and one, one not so good. The one good is easy. And you touched okay. on it. For me, it's Greg Cronin, guy that was coaching in Colorado system for a number yep. of years. Used to be a very prominent coach in the NCAA. Everybody knew who he is. He's a hard line guy, not really considered that flexible. But the changes that he's made in his coaching style and the effectiveness that he's had with an Anaheim team that yeah. some people consider in the same boat as San Jose, but really isn't, has been just an absolute treat to watch. Pat Verbeek's done a wonderful job. Cronin's done a great job. And we're finding out that this team has a lot of really good young players. And if they are, in fact, in a transitory stage, it's not going to be for very long because their future is very, very bright. San Jose, they have a different challenge. You've got new people there and David Quinn and and Mike Greer. Those guys are going to do a great job. But they're dealing with a completely different animal than what Anaheim is. Anaheim has great processes in place and that's why Everbeek's doing a great job Greg's doing a great job but they had some players in the system they do some things really well particularly drafting they've upped their game and talking to Beaker on what they're doing for player development and that program is going to be fantastic and as a GM or a former GM all you want people to say about you is you run a really good program winning and losing is going to land year in and year out doesn't matter who you are Stevie Eisenman just went through it, and finally the strong processes that Steve uses on a daily basis are coming through, and Detroit is turning the corner. So that's the good story. The bad story for me is is, is a little bit of a shock for the Edmonton Oilers. And I wouldn't mm. say bad. It's just, you know, the downside that I'm a little shocked by. Now, it's a short sample size. You were quoting a power play that was one for 25 in St. Louis. Yeah, that always gets highlighted when it's, yes, when it it gets highlighted in the beginning of the year because we don't have any numbers and everybody goes through a stretch, maybe not that bad, but similar at some point. But when it happens at the beginning of the year, it's it's really front and center. In Edmonton's case, Edmonton's really a second-half team to me, so I have no doubt they're going to play a lot better. I've talked with a lot of people up there about a theory of it's our northernmost franchise, light, like you're into everything. 
when you see a great team like that that hasn't hit the stride that everybody was really anticipating for them right off the bat. They'll get it going, but I've been shocked at uh, how difficult it's been out of the gate. Haven't solved the goaltending issue, haven't solved their D issue, have a wonderful group of forwards, uh, but it's really bifurcated into two groups where your top guys are terrific for the most part, but your bottom guys have really struggled. So I'm watching that one closely. Uh, really interested to see how that plays out. You know, the other interesting thing, and we'll we'll uh, we'll end the conversation on this one. I was talking about it yesterday, um, and that is, you look at the top ten scorers in the NHL, from Jack Hughes number one to William Nylander number ten. Although technically William Nylander, I suppose, was born in Calgary, um, he's not Canadian. He's Swedish. There are no Canadians in the top ten scorers in the NHL. So as a Canadian, uh, Brian, I'm saying right now we stop all conversations about international hockey. Uh, no Olympics uh, for NHLers, no World Cup until Canada can get its act together. How about that? Sounds like a crisis for all the media on a perch <laughs> in Canada. It's all. Uh, I love it. Lots of the best. It's, uh, it's always good catching up, man. You have yourself a great weekend. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. The great Brian Lawton uh, from NHL Network, former general manager, player, first overall draft pick, uh, and agent as well. Um, perch. Do I, Maddie? Do I use the word perch a lot? Um, I, I mean, you use it sometimes. I don't know if I would say you use it a lot. Uh, so no, I Every wouldn't broad, say there's 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 only. There's only one broadcaster that we all talk about who, who who never had crutch words, and that was Jim Hewson. Like, everybody mm. has crutch words. Yeah. I have crutch words. Sometimes they're not obvious, but Huey was like the Cadillac of the broadcaster who didn't have crutch words that he always relied on. We all have them. I have them. You have them. Uh, up and down the dial. Everybody has them. The only one who we all look at and say, yeah, he got out clean without having a ton of crutch words with Jim Houston. Do you know, anyway, do you know what yours are? Know. Do you know what yours are? Cause I have a couple that I know that mine are. Jeez, uh, I think I say, uh, Oh, a hundred percent a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to really think about it. I say asinine a lot. Listen, anyone who, any, anyone who's listening can tweet in and tell me. <laughs> yeah, they will. Don't worry. Sure. Oh, there's Merrick with that word again. <laughs> oh, he's back. He's, he's talked himself into that corner again, and he's going to try to escape from that corner with that word or that phrase again. Uh, I'm just, you're just not, you're just sort of oblivious to it as it goes on, right? It's one of those things like you can't see your own eyeball. So you have to rely on other people's eyeballs to, to see yours and mm-hmm. tell you what your crutch words are. Anyhow, um, what's uh, what's up with you, Maddie? What do you what do you what do you think of the week that we just like? We, this was a, a, a one of the more remarkable weeks in hockey. Uh, it started on a, on a huge low with with Adam Johnson, and that story still continues. And we mm-hmm. had you know players wearing neck guards in NHL games uh, yesterday. Some interesting uh, games along the way as well. Uh, an absolute, an absolute beatdown yesterday between Vancouver and San Jose, which really cemented where both teams are at right now. Like you're seeing how good the top guys of Vancouver are right now, and how bad this San Jose Sharks team is. But everything in between, what caught your eye this week? Well, it, the Senators' situation was, you know, probably the big one. Pierre Dorian. Oh, that. Yeah, that thing. Uh, Pierre Dorian steps down or gets fired or whatever they want to tell us publicly. And Michael Anlauer has that press conference, which was, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't expecting it, but I was super impressed by it. Um, and, and, and it got me thinking, Jeff, you know, and I, I know we can be critical and, and the, the NHL deserves its criticism wherever uh, it may happen. But for them to lose a first round pick for that and then the whole Chicago situation and how that was handled... Those look like two entirely different yeah. things. And I think and I think that there should be a conversation about that. And I, I think it's kind of gone by the wayside. Like, that was a steep penalty to pay, and I understand. But teams have done worse and gotten away with with less. And that and that's the I, that's the problem I, I have with it. Uh I, I'm listen, I, I said it at the time and I'll say it again today. What the Chicago the, the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> punishment was incredibly light Mm -hmm. and you know bordering on ridiculous and offensive and as a lot of people point out like they didn't lose a first round pick and that first round pick turned into Connor Bedard 
Um, whereas now, you know, the Ottawa Senators are, are going to be dinged a first rounder here um, for, you know, not passing along uh, uh, no trade lists. It's, it's, I always have a hard time putting two things together like that, but I, I, I will, uh, again, like I've said it then, I'll, I'll say it again now, that that punishment for Chicago Blackhawks was bordering on laughable. Yeah. A couple of million dollars for that organization. Like, come on. Yeah. Find it come in the on. couch. Ser- seriously. That was, that was, that was a, that was a laugh for, yeah. Take back your empties, take the, the quarters out of the cushions. Anyway. Um, uh, on yeah, to other the, things. The, 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 situa- <laughs> the Ottawa situation, the Ottawa situation, the Ottawa situation is one Cause now I, I think we're curious about who the next general manager is going to be. Mm-hmm. And Elliot and I sort of disagree on one thing specifically. Um, Elliot laughed at me because he's mean, number one, um, <laughs> when I suggested that they, that they may look at certain agents around the NHL. Like it's, it's long been, you know, how many times have you said, you know, Pat Brisson would make a great lots, general manager lots. or Pat Brisson, like a lot of times we've, we've talked about that. Look, we just talked, the speed of lots. We just talked to Brian Lawton mm-hmm. who went from being, you know, a, a player to an agent, a broadcaster, to a, to a general manager with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's not as if it's, it hasn't happened before. It's happened, listen, just happened in, in Montreal uh, with Kent Hughes. I wonder, I really do wonder if they go down that road. Oh, by the way, my buddy Richard Chung just tweets in, um, eyeballs. I say eyeballs a you lot do. for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll be, you yep. know what I've always been fascinated by? This is specifically for our listeners in Toronto. I don't know if this is true anymore, but at one Spadina Crescent, right in the middle of downtown Toronto, it's a U of T building. Okay. You know the building when you're driving up Spadina and you get a little bit north of, I think it's Dundas where it splits? You're asking There's the wrong guy. There's a U of guy. T building in the middle there Okay, well, for anyone who's who lives downtown or, or works downtown, you know what I'm talking about. There's that U of T building at one Spadina Crescent. I know it. I know it. I can see it. For the longest time, okay, you can see it in your eyes. You know what that houses? That, the, the, that building holds the world's biggest collection of human eyeballs, or at least it used to. I don't know if it still does anymore. I haven't lived in Toronto going back to 2011. I live a little bit north of the city. But I used to always be fascinated by that. That I would drive by and go, "The world's biggest collection of eyeballs." How do you know that? That's what I want to know. How do you know that? Like, where does that come up? Urban urban anthropology has a casual pursuit of mine for the longest time. Well, they 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 also say they also say that it's haunted. That building. Yeah, I believe that. Just like the Hockey Hall of Fame is too, right? There's the ghost of the woman that committed suicide there when it used to be a bank. Yes, correct. Uh, this would be the unsolved murder of David Buller uh, in 2001. So anyway, so apparently you know it's, that? I just looked. I, Google Google, Google's a wonderful tool, oh, okay. Jeff. Um, and you know what else? <laughs> so I, hang on. Does it say? Does it say? Hang on. Does it say that it still houses the the world's biggest collection of eyeballs? Hold on. No, I'm checking that. Once I did. I, that's what I was looking up, and no, then no, I got don't, sidetracked. Don't, 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 don't. I got Close sidetracked. Okay. I'm gonna look up okay, one right, Spadina right, Crescent and eyeballs. <laughs> This is Matt Marchese starring in Cats and Laser Pointers. Pretty much, yeah. Well, when you say something ridiculous like that, I have to look into it. Um, housed a bunch of eyeballs. It says housed a bunch of eyeballs at one point. Check. So does exist. <laughs> okay. So anyway. So I'm not completely daffy. Um, you, want, you want some stats? Those are always fun. Sure. So as as we know, San Jose. Go sports. Yeah. As we know, San Jose stinks right now. Uh, Vancouver scored as many goals yesterday as San Jose scored all year. But the best stat of all is uh, fitting that we had Jim Hughes on today. Uh, Great job of booking that by uh, David Sis. Um, The Hughes brothers have outscored the entire San Jose Sharks roster. That is incredible. Well, I mean, they're kind of dominating at their position. But Let me three ask you guys. <laughs> Maybe. I know, but like they're leading. Like Quinn's leading all defensemen. Jack's leading all skaters in general. And, you know, uh, what does is, what is Luke have? Seven? Or is it I think eight, seven, yeah. Uh, points tra- trailing. Seven points. Like, so, okay. Like, that's. And, like, they, they can't. Like, right now, the San Jose Sharks can't throw a, a rock into the ocean. Mm-mm. Like, they can't. Like, they can't get, they can't get anything anywhere. 
Now, I was bringing up the example yesterday of, of Tommy Williams and the Washington Capitals in 1974-75 and winning their first uh, game on the road. They took the metal garbage can and signed their names on it like it's the Stanley Cup and took it for a twirl uh, at the Cow Palace, etc. Um, here's, here's my question, and I don't know why I'm so stuck on this. It says a lot about me probably more than the actual events. I think Quinn should have gone for it. Should I have agree. tried to at least match the record. Matt, at least Matt, just like Tage Thompson should have shot for the Sittler record. I agree. But it seems as if it seems as if it seems as if team uh, players are much more comfortable doing it if it's a a high scoring game in yeah. general. Like if that was a like put it this way, if that was a ten eight game, maybe he would have gone for it, but not a ten nothing game. Know what I mean? Yeah, and I agree if with it's a you. Blowout, you're not going to do it. And that's like the what Brian Lawton was saying: how hockey players were brought up, and they're so polite, and they're so this, and they're so that. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But at this level, like I'm it. sorry, you're professional. If you if you don't want to get beat ten one, then don't get beat ten one. I'm sorry. Like you know, there's okay. no other way around. You know, what it. Lo- you know what I love about baseball right now? What's that? There's a few things that I love about baseball and a few things I don't like about baseball. But one of the things that I really love about baseball right now is when they bring a position player into pitch. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're like, the, like the only the one that likes that. <laughs> no, you know why you know I like that now? Because teams don't play along. Like back then, it's like, okay, it's a blowout, so the second baseman's going to pitch. And no one really just pounds the pitcher mm-hmm. and sort of go through the motions to get the game over. What I like now is... They're trying to hit it's home runs. It's almost as if the other team gets offended. Oh, it's nonstop, man. Yeah. I just love it. I say, okay, you're going to bring this guy in to serve up meatballs? We're going yard, 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 yard. That's what we're going to do to you. Like, the guys aren't going along with it anymore. No. I love that. No, and, and I, I absolutely love Again, that, you're Maddie. you're professional. If you don't like it, be better. It's it's as simple as that for me. It's just like, oh, a team got mad at uh, another team because they threw out their first power play unit in 8-1 game. So, suck it up. <laughs> play harder enough like we're not we're not babying you guys are playing for bonuses guys are playing for records what the Tage Thompson thing drove me nuts last year and I didn't like the Quinn Hughes thing either last night I don't care if it you know if it was not against San Jose who's been horrible and let's say it was against I don't know let's yeah. say it was against New Jersey would it be the same conversation here's the other thing there's this idea of and i get it, it's a very hockey thing you don't want to you know disrespect david quinn or the, the san jose sharks because you're you're pounding them like that you don't want to turn into a, a record chase and turn what's going to be a 10-1 game into a 15-1 to game um i don't know like the one thing i think that gets lost on quote-unquote hockey people a lot is that this is an entertainment property mm-hmm. right this is an entertainment property and i don't know about you maddie or anyone listening or watching right now. But I'm going to guess that everybody right now who's involved in this conversation at this moment has never gone to a game and said this. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. I can't wait to watch (laughs) these two teams respect each other tonight. (laughs) Or stop scoring, please. Don't score anymore. I don't (laughs) like it. Wow. These two teams really respect each other. I got to watch this. Yeah, wonderful. Anyone ever put your hand up? I any has anybody ever said that? I can't wait to watch these two teams respect each other. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, great. It's all we hear about respect, 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 respect. You start taking money for your sport. It's an entertainment property. There's no such thing as a sports section when it comes to pro sports. It belongs in the entertainment section. Fair. Sports section should be for amateur sports. How about that, Maddie? There's your hot take for Friday. Taking the end of the weekend. You picking up what I'm putting down on that one? I like it. All right, fine. Let's hit a break. Uh, Craig Morgan is going to stop by here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about uh, the suddenly deserving of respect, Arizona Coyotes. This ain't your granddad's Arizona Coyotes. This isn't even your dad's Coyotes. This isn't even even your older brother or sister's Arizona Coyotes. It's a good hockey team. We'll talk about the Coyotes next across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. No respect here. No respect. It's like Rodney Dangerfield. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. 
This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, spot quiz. Top two teams in the NHL Central Division are Dallas and Colorado, right? Like, that's the easy one. Who's number three? Who's in third place in the Central? You know, we talked at the beginning of this season, this is going to be the jump ball division. The Arizona Coyotes, 5-4-1. and one. We talked about respect in the last segment. Coyotes are earning some, folks. More on that with Craig Morgan from PHNX Sports. Craig joins me now. Craig, how are you, pal? I'm great. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. So, um, you know, it is it is fascinating. Uh, a number of people looked at Arizona this, uh, this offseason and said, this team is going to surprise. Provided they get the net binding from Vimalka, this is a team that's going to do uh, okay in a division where after the first two teams... Place your bets. And right now, Arizona has jumped up and grabbed that spot. How did they get here, Craig Morgan? How did they get here? Well, there's a couple of things. You mentioned the goaltending of Karel Vimelka, but it's really been the goaltending of Karel Vimelka and Connor Ingram. Uh, Andre Turigny has gone to a rotational situation with these two goaltenders. They're literally starting every other game, which is not something you see all that often in the NHL. Uh, he told me very early in the season that he views these guys as equals. Uh, and if you look at the second half of Connor Ingram's season last year, once the Coyotes claimed him off waivers, he was terrific. He really was good. Uh, there are some people think he may have surpassed Karel Vimelka as the best goaltender on this team. They had a couple of spotty performances against L.A. Other than that, they have been terrific. But the other thing to look at here, and it's, it's insane to be talking about this with the Coyotes, I was looking at some, some deeper numbers today, and as far as expected goals, the Coyotes lead the NHL right now, which is an insane thing to be talking about with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, why do you think that is? Like, what, what is different this year? Like, I've seen Andre Tournier do this with junior hockey teams before, like most specifically uh, what he was able to do with the Ottawa 67s. Uh, you know, they were an absolute juggernaut before, you know, COVID uh, scotched their season and Peterborough's season that was headed towards a great showdown that year. Like, I've seen Tournier do this at various levels, but not the NHL level. So, Craig Morgan, how has Andre Tournier done this? <laughs> well, I don't... I don't want to suggest that he's reinventing the wheel, but they are they are a very aggressive team in, in all three zones. That's driving this. Uh, the top line with Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller in particular, and then Barrett Hayden clearing some space. Although he hasn't been on the score sheet, he's been effective for those two guys. Uh, other than a couple of games, Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller have been very good this season. But then they have more depth. Uh, we, we know they've added some other players. Jason Zucker's out of the lineup right now, but should be back in a week. Um, he has helped. Matias Michelli had a hell of a rookie season last year. Lawson Krause has taken steps. So they just have more depth than they've had in previous seasons. And then I think, you know, on the back end, while I still think it's the weakness of this club, they have some puck-moving defensemen who can help w- with the uh, overall goals. You know, uh, speaking of blue liners, we're always looking for players that are ready to take that next step. And we started to see some of this out of J.J. Mosier last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on him taking... When we when Elliot and I talked to him in, in, uh, in Stockholm at the NHL European Players Tour, the one thing he talked about was being stronger, being more aggressive physically, uh, specifically in his own zone. Like, Mosier looks like that guy that's ready on this blue line to take the next step. How do you see his game right now? I think he's the most complete defenseman on the team. Um, my, my colleague, Steve Peters, who was the video coach for the Coyotes for 23 years, did a, a deep breakdown of just how good J.J. is in all three zones. I don't think you appreciate how good a defender he is because you look at him, he's a little bit slight, and he's not going to be one of those guys that knocks you off the puck, but he's got an excellent stick, excellent positioning, excellent gaps. And, and he can move the puck. I mean, he's, he's actually not in as big an offensive role this season with the addition of Sean Dursey and even Matt Dumba to this team. But he is a very complete player. They are very happy with him. He's just done nothing but improve since he got here as a second-round draft pick. A bit of a surprise. He didn't spend very much time at all in Tucson where they thought he'd be for the entire season. Once they called him up, he never went yeah. back down. It's interesting too because I, I kind of and I'm sensitive about you know handling defensemen and time in the American League. I'm the same way about goalies. Really, uh, it, it it did seem a little bit rushed. Did it feel that way to you around Mosier? 
Well, I, I thought, I wondered about it, but when you watched him play, you understood what they were thinking. I, I remember the very first game he played when he came up, I was walking down through back then at Gila River Arena and saw Bill Armstrong, and he looked at me and just said, J.J. Mosier, wow. So they were impressed from his, with him from the get-go. And, and like I said, he's just been adding pieces to his game. He's, he, he, listen, Andre, Andre does wonders with, with a lot of these young kids. We know that he can work with younger players. But J.J. Mosier is one of those guys who has just really, really progressed under this coaching staff. And, and obviously it's not all the coaching staff. A lot of it has to do with J.J. Mosier himself. Yeah. You know, the, um, the, the Logan Cooley phenomenon is an interesting one as well. I, I want to get your thoughts on uh, get your thoughts on him. You know, amongst our crew, Jason Bukala, I remember that was the, the, the uh, Slavkovsky draft in Montreal. Slavkovsky goes, Slavkovsky goes number one. Um, you know, consistently, uh, Jason Bukala said, Logan Cooley's the best player in this draft. Logan Cooley should go number one. Logan Cooley's the best player in this draft. Um, the Arizona Coyotes got themselves a real good player here. Uh, your thoughts on what we've seen from Logan Cooley inside of 10 games, leading all rookies in points so far? Yeah, my good friend Chris Peters kept saying the same thing. He's been banging that drum for a very long time and hasn't moved off of it. Um, Logan Cooley has yeah. been good. Uh, there, there have been areas where... He still needs work. It was interesting. The, the Montreal media was in town yesterday and, and asking, you, you know, you, you juxtapose him to Slavkovsky, who is really struggling right now in the Canadian, with the Canadians and yeah. may not even belong in the NHL right now. Um, someone asked him, so you can develop in the NHL w- with regard to Cooley. And, and Andre said, no, you're not developing. You have to be at a certain point. You can improve. You can get better. But you have to have a baseline of skills and confidence and abilities to play in this league in the first place. And Logan Cooley was there from day one of training camp. Um, He's had some areas. Listen, we we know he's a very aggressive, confident player with the puck, and he's still learning puck management, particularly in the neutral zone and at the blue line. He's had some mistakes. In fact, some mistakes against L.A. that that saw him sit on the bench for the entire third period because Andre was sending a message. But then he bounces back. He gets his first goal in Anaheim. I know a lot of people are looking at like, why isn't he scoring more? Well, quite honestly, he's just not shooting, Jeff. I think he's deferring a little too much, as you'll Mm. see with a lot of rookies. Um, He doesn't have a lot of shots on goal, doesn't have a a lot of shot attempts. They're they're working on that. They're talking to him. But he is a terrific playmaker. You saw it on the Schmaltz goal, the game-winning goal last night, where he got behind the defense and then slid it across the seam to Schmaltz for a tap-in. He can create plays with his speed and his skill. You can see it all. Um, when, when it will all come together and he'll become a dominant player, I don't know yet, but he's been effective as a rookie. They're very happy with him. Um, he's staying. There's no chance he's going down. They are convinced already that he is an NHL player. Yeah. Uh, he's he, he's he, he's excellent. Um, speaking of staying or going, it is the, the dominant sort of elephant in the room conversation, and I'm sure you've had it countless times. And, Craig, here we go again. Uh, at some point this year, we, ha- we will have a definitive they're staying or they're going uh, moment with the Arizona Coyotes. What can you tell us about the very latest uh, in the Coyotes' you know, search for a, a new place for a rink or perhaps uh, their move elsewhere, all eyes around Salt Lake City? Geez, Jeff, it only took, what, five questions to get to the arena? I, I knew it was coming at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know it's coming, Greg. You know it's coming. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Well, Javier Gutierrez has told us, he was on our show actually a few weeks ago and, and told us by the end of November they will announce a second site in, in uh, contention for for the arena site. I, look, I, I think it's coming down to a couple sites. I've been saying this pretty re- recently. While they, they'll tell you they're considering like half a dozen sites still, I think it's down to Northwest Mesa, the site that's already been out there in the news. And I think, I think they're looking in mm-hmm. East Phoenix. I don't know the particular site, but it's, it's the east side of the city, in the East Valley, in that corridor, of course, that we've talked about where the population base, the wealth base, and the corporate base of the city sits. Yeah. That's why they want to be in that area. I don't know that that announcement in November is going to be substantive as much as, okay, here's the other one in contention. I do think that they're trying to stay with that timeline of, of having a substantive announcement around the All-Star break. You've heard Gary Bettman say it many, many times. Whether it happens, I, I don't make any predictions at this point, Jeff. I've been covering this story for 15 years. Sure. Uh, I, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, they, they feel very confident that they can do this. And one of the key points here is they can do it without a public vote because we saw what happened with the Tempe vote, which 
most most political and business leaders in Tempe thought was a great deal, and yet it got voted down. There was some, in my opinion, misinformation yeah. that that helped kill that deal. So they want to avoid a public vote. They want to do it without that. We'll see how what the structure of the deal looks like. I can tell you that pretty much all the pieces that were part of that Tempe proposal, that project, are going to carry over to these new sites. So it's going to be the same sort of uh, uh, real estate development with residences, with with retail. Um, with a sports book, all the things that they want to do, really the key pieces that would drive revenue in that area because it's really not about the arena driving revenue. It's those other pieces. Um, Let me finish up with this one. You know, as we sort of project out, like we looked at the beginning of the year, Dallas, Colorado in this division, and then place your bets. So who's going to jump up and grab the third spot um, in it? And right now the Arizona Coyotes are in that spot. Uh, I know the um, the mantra has been for the longest time here, uh, draft capital. We're in the business of picking up draft picks and young players, prospects, etc. Um, how close do you think the Arizona Coyotes are, given what they have on the horizon, you know, in the pipeline coming? How close are they to saying, you know what, at this point now, we can afford to maybe move some draft picks we're not in the we're no longer in the green banana business uh, we want our bananas to get to market here what uh, how close do you think arizona is to, to that conversation and that next step in their development well i i, I think it's a nuanced answer because I don't, I don't think it's just a matter of committing to that entirely versus being in the other mode um they they already showed that they were willing to do that with the acquisition of sean Dursey this offseason so if the opportunity arises yeah. they they have enough draft capital where they can absolutely do it. They, I think they have 13 picks in the first two rounds of the next three drafts. So they already have the draft capital. They can do what they want with that. If yeah. they see an opportunity, they will. At the same time, Bill Armstrong, when he addressed media at Media Day this year, said very bluntly, we're not a playoff team yet. He said it himself. And, and maybe that's to take some pressure off the coaching staff and players. But I, I do think he believes that, that they're not quite ready. So I think it's mm-hmm. a matter of maybe getting some of you know, getting getting a guy like Logan Cooley a little more matured, getting Dylan Gunther up from Tucson, and maybe a couple of these other prospects come through where they start to make that move and say, okay, we have an expectation of being a playoff team. And then you might see more and more of those moves. But they, like I said, they have so much draft capital that they have a lot of flexibility right now. You know, Craig, I want to end on this one. I've got about 30 seconds for it. I thought about you a lot during this whole conversation about decentralization of the draft, and I thought a lot about the Arizona Coyotes. And how are we going to see the synchronized suits uh, if they go the decentralized route here, which has become one of the more one of the more entertaining things of the draft every every season? You have 30 seconds on. We may have seen the end of the uh, of, of the synced suits amongst uh, Armstrong, Ferguson, and the rest of the group. We have not. I asked Bill Armstrong that very pointedly, and he promised me that the suits will remain, even if they're just doing it on a local business, uh, a local basis at a, a draft party. <laughs> okay, excellent. Then, good to see Beatles come to America. We'll still be, uh, we'll still be very much front and center for the uh, the Arizona Coyotes staff. Craig, you're the best man. Thanks so much. You have the thumb on the pulse of everything Coyotes. Uh, thanks for sharing your expertise as always. I love our conversations. You be well and have a great weekend. Same to you, Jeff. Always great talking to you. Thanks. The Arizona Coyotes face off against the Winnipeg Jets tomorrow. Winnipeg V1 versus Winnipeg V2. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in today's uh, broadcast. Uh, you just heard from Craig Morgan. Before that, Brian Lawton. Uh, before him, Jim Hughes, father to the stars. And Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts, uh, both the blog and the podcast. Uh, thanks to our supervising producer, Matt Marchese, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You did all the good things. I made all the mistakes. Thanks for putting up with me. Back on Monday.